Blog Talk Radio. I heard a 
without a master. He has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. Praise God, he loved me ere I knew him. And all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. Amen. I'm glad I'm saved this morning. Amen. Amen. It's good to have assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I tell you, I want to tell you all I had a good time this week at that Bible conference I went to. God was there. God moved there. God spoke to those men, and and uh, God God spoke to me, and I'm very thankful for that. And uh, I was looking through the back of my Bible. I've seen a couple notes I took during that. And uh, one thing that I wrote down that really stuck out to me, the preacher said, he said, anything you want to see rise like smoke in the lives of your people, it has to burn first in your own life. I can't expect you to get excited about something I don't get excited about myself. I can't expect you to do something I wouldn't do myself. Uh, and another thing I wrote down was this one. I thought this was pretty good, too. It said, the same light that dispels the darkness draws the bugs. Amen. <laughs> don't forget that. <laughs> you start doing something for God, you're going to draw bugs. It's going to happen. They're going to come flying in and try to get in the middle of everything. But that's just part of the ministry. Amen. You see, when Paul went about preaching, he had plenty of bugs flying around him. Jesus taught and preached. He had plenty of bugs flying around him. That's just the way it is. But praise God, he gives us victory. Amen. I tell you, I had a real blessing. Got a lot out of that conference. I was telling Brother Grant, met a man down there by the name of Leo Lytle, and he has a ministry. He grew up in a woodworking shop. He grew up, his daddy was a master craftsman, and he grew up and he learned the trade. He'd been doing it all his life. He's in his 60s now. And uh, he started with a bunch of lumber, and when he was finished, he had a finished door standing there in front of us, putting it together with a wooden hammer and teaching the Bible the whole way. And if we, if it's possible, I'm going to have him come in here one Sunday and uh, minister to us because I really think he'd get a blessing out of it. And what a sweet soul. He makes, he makes free crosses uh, out of cedar planks like you build a cedar fence with, privacy fence. They make wooden crosses, and they put uh, they put a... Uh, uh, Jesus loves you on that sign, and, and uh, he gives them out for free. He has them loaded on the back of his van. He has a big sign that says, Free Crosses. Dial this number. I'll pull over. And so he goes from town to town giving that illustration and uh, giving away free crosses and telling the story of Jesus Christ. So it was a real blessing to me, and, and I got a lot out of it. Uh, prayer request this morning. Yes. My Surgery on the shoulder, he's hurting, he's working, and he keeps talking out. He's got to have that to take care of. All right. 
Well, let's let's pray for him. Lift him up in prayer. Yes, Scott. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We'll find out what's doing it. Fix it. Right. trying to remember exactly when he when the procedure Friday Friday what time are you expect scheduled for that do you know yet okay. and that's going to be done in Shreveport am I right okay
Yes, amen. You be seated. Since I have been re- 
Oh. 
I'm living by faith, and they'll go along. I know that he safely will carry me through, no matter what evils betide. Why should I then care, though the tempest may blow, if Jesus was close to my side? Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in his great love. From all harm safe in his sheltering arm, I'm living by faith and still no our Lord will return to this earth some sweet day. Our troubles will then all be old. The Master so gently will lead us away beyond that blessed heavenly shore. Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting confide. In his great love. From all harm safe in his sheltering arm, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. Amen. Praise God. Doesn't matter what the news says, I've got a God in heaven. Is more powerful than anybody here on earth. Amen. He's in control. He's proved that time and time again. He's proved that in recent days to me that he's still in control no matter what looks like what around me. And I rejoice in that fact. But I don't have to fret and panic and worry. Yes, ma'am. Oh. Well, we'll try to handle that. All right. I might pay more attention to the birthday calendar, I guess. Because I don't ever know. I looked for this song in our songbook, but it's not in there. And I looked for it in several other songbooks in my office, and I couldn't find it. But I've been singing it all my life. It's a hymn, and I just, I know it's not a special song, but I just feel like singing it this morning. Have 
God, when your prayers are unanswered, your earnest plea, he will never forget. Wait on the Lord, trust his word and be patient. Have faith in God, he'll answer you. Have faith in God, he's on his throne. Have faith in God, he watches for his own. He cannot fail, he must prevail. Have faith in God, have faith in God. Have faith in God, in your pain and your sorrow. His heart is touched with your grief and despair. Cast all your cares and your burdens upon Him, and leave them there, oh, leave them there. Have faith in God. He's on his throne, have faith in God, he watches for his own, he cannot fail, he must prevail, have faith in God, have faith in God, have faith in God, though all else fail about you. Have faith in God. He provides for his own. He cannot fail. Though all kingdoms shall perish, he rules, he reigns upon his throne. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches o'er his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Praise God. You know what the devil means for evil, God turns around for good. Amen. God's in control. And we don't never need to worry because he got it. No matter how it looks, I don't care how it looks. A lot of times things look bad. God's still in control. And I'm confident of that. God never messes up. He never has a moment where things don't work out for him. It always works out because he's God. Amen? But that's not what I came to preach about. I thought I'd say that a couple times because that's what the song was about. But praise God. I'm thankful for what we are here to talk about. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I know Brother Tony's been on vacation, but we ended, the week y'all left, we ended the series on getting to know Jesus. Uh, when we finished the, the chapter of John there, but we have begun a new series, and this one is entitled uh, Holy Ghost Power, as we've gone into the book of Acts, as we're continuing on. It's still the ministry of Jesus. But it's no longer him and his body conducting that ministry. It's him passing that ministry on to his people 
and doing the work in the power of his Holy Spirit. And like I said last week, I think that's probably one of the, the most lacking areas of Baptist church life is the part that is called Holy Ghost power because we are uh, been taught all our life to shy away from those things because that's what Pentecostals are involved in. And, and, and I know lots of Pentecostal folks. I love them dearly. I've got no axe to grind with them. They're wrong doctrinally on some things, but I believe they passionately have a heart for Jesus. I do believe that. I believe there's many of them that are saved. I think there's some who are dependent on that experience they had at an altar where they flipped around the floor and talked in tongues, and they're probably lost as a goose in a hailstorm. But those who truly believed on Christ are saved. But I don't think that any of those things that go on in those churches are associated with with charismatics or charismania or whatever you want to call it should deter us in any way from receiving all that God has for us as Baptist people. Amen? That shouldn't hinder us or affect us one way whatsoever. You know, I'll apply it to this guitar right here. I pick up the guitar. You know who I play like? I play like me because that's the way I learned to play. I don't want to play like somebody else because that's them. Call me into the ministry. He gave me this King James Bible, and in reading it, I discovered I was a Baptist because Baptists believe the Bible, and they don't try to find some other doctrine somewhere else. We just look at the Word of God. We let it teach us, let the Holy Spirit of God teach us, and we receive what's there, even if it's hard to hear and hard to receive, and, and we feel funny about it because other people do this out of the other. We still need to stay with what God said regardless of what anybody else does or says. Amen? Y'all agree with that statement? Amen. All right. So this morning we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. Chapter 1 of Acts, we're going to read down through verses 4 and 5. We'll start there at the first. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now we didn't. We're not going to cover verse three because we kind of covered that when we talked about the, the resurrection of Christ and the proofs of the resurrection of Christ. So on to verse four and five. Our text this morning, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. For the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you, praise God, for your written word, Lord, and, and how it guides us and teaches us. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you'll give me the power of the Holy Ghost. And I pray you put your hand on me, you'll breathe on me that Breath, Lord, of the power that I need to preach. I can't do it without you, Lord. I know I need you. I I feel my need for you, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you'll pour out the Holy Ghost in abundance on me and allow me to preach, Lord, beyond myself. Lord, I pray that you'll give me your strength, your power, your words, your vision, your clarity, Lord, your heart. And I pray, Lord, you'll use me this morning as an instrument in your hand to, Lord, to hit a home run. Lord, I, I want to be a, I want to be a blessing for you. I want to do the best that I can for you this morning. So I pray, Lord, and I put myself in your hands, and I pray that you'll use me. 
Father, forgive my sin. Cleanse me. Make me a vessel for honor. Lord, I pray for each and every one under the sound of my voice, whether they be in the building or whether they're listening in. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll open their, their ears. Lord, open their hearts and minds, their understanding. And, Lord, I pray the Holy Ghost of God will guide them into all truth. And I pray, Lord, when we leave here, we be changed from the way we came in. Lord, that we realize we've been in the very presence of the living God. And, Lord, you'll change us and work in our hearts and minds today. Father, please, give me power, Lord. Help me preach. And I give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'm going to get right into this because it's already 30 after and i got to roll. So number, verse 4 and 5, he told them, first thing he said, don't depart from Jerusalem, but you wait there for the promise of the Father. Now I'm going to look at that promise of the Father first, and then we'll get into the message, all right? We're going to cover that because that's the key to all of it. But I want to, I'm going to read a, first, a, a couple of passages along with that because he talked about the promise of the Father. If you look in John 7, if you want to turn to these, you can, but I won't be there long in any of them. John 7, verse 37 through 39, the Bible said, Jesus it said in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. So he's saying this loud for everybody to hear. And he said, if any man first, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. First of all, you've got to be saved to have that. That's, he said that right there. He that believeth on me. For every believer and everybody in this room, according to your testimony, has believed upon Christ. So according to the scripture, out of my belly, out of your belly, should flow rivers of living water. That's, the, that's in my Bible, my King James Bible, right in front of me. That's what God said would happen if we believe on Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, are you experiencing that today? Are you experiencing the living water of God flowing from your belly every day? You say, how does that happen, preacher? I haven't, I've looked down at my belly many times. I've never seen living water going anywhere. That's God speaking and trying to put it, and put it in words we can understand, that the Spirit of God flows from us. Amen? Christ's Spirit that lives within us, the moment we received him as our Savior, flows from us to other people as we allow God to have control over our lives. But verse 39 says, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost weighs in the same verse. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay? Now, Luke 11, verse 13. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. That's the one where the friend went to his friend at midnight, and he said, lend me three loaves. I got a friend who showed up on his, on his journey, and I got any food in the house. Please give me something. You know, and he, he tells him to ask and seek and knock. And you like the whole illustration there is that God doesn't want us to just be sheepish about having the, needing the power of the Holy Ghost in our life. He doesn't want us to be timid about it. And that's why I keep stressing this when I begin these messages. We have been browbeat and, and, and made to feel timid about the power of God in our life because we don't want anybody to associate us. Well, forget that association. I can tell you, they're not setting the woods on fire, okay? They ain't doing a thing to, for the kingdom of God to set the woods on fire by, by rolling around the floor, okay? By, by talking in gibberish. They're not, they're not reaching the world for Christ, so we can forget what they're doing. We just need to focus on what God wants to do with us. 
Amen. There's a lot. Hey, listen. I'm, again, some great people. But let me just tell you, there's group, different groups of, of weird beliefs all over the world. And we can't let them weird beliefs affect what we know to be true. But he says in there, in verse 13, about that story about the friend at midnight, asking, seeking, and knocking, he says, Jesus said in verse 13, if ye then, being evil, and he doesn't mean that we're horrible, mean, maniacal people, he just means you've got a sinful nature. You have a sin nature. I have a sin nature. Our, we get in our flesh. Sometimes we fall down. Sometimes we say and do things we shouldn't say and do in front of our children, and we, we set a bad example. But yet, even though we fall down and get up and fall down and get up, even though we have a fallen nature that we fight against all the time, we still look at our kids and say, I want to do things good for you. I want to take care of you. I love you. I want to provide for you. I want you to turn out to be something great. I'll do whatever I can to help you along the way for good parents. And he's saying, if we're in that condition and we know how to give good things to our children, don't you think God knows how to give you what you need? And, and, and what you need is the Holy Ghost. And he says, he said, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? We recognize that need for the power of God in our life. We say, Lord, please help me. I need you. Oh, God, pour out your spirit in my life. Lord, control me. Take the wheel of my life. I hate that girl in the old country song because it ruins it every time I say that. About Jesus taking the wheel, amen? But listen, that's literally what he needs to do. He needs to drive. And how does Jesus drive? We yield ourselves to the Holy Ghost of God, and we say, we recognize that that's how Jesus works in our life at this moment. He's seated at the right hand of God in heaven. He has sent another comforter, amen? And when he says another case, just like himself, it's him, it's his spirit in us. And we don't need to deny that the spirit of Christ is trying to work through us. The Holy Ghost of God waits eagerly to impart the gifts that God longs to give to us in order for us to be able to do his will if we just ask. John 16, 7 through 15. We'll get through this and a couple more we'll get into the message. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for me that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, fully do. He'll reprove. What does that word reprove mean? Y'all know what the word reprove means? It's not a common word we use every day, but it means to criticize, to correct. You know, when God deals with us and God puts his finger on sin in our life, the word of God criticizes what we're doing, and it shows us how to turn around. That's conviction. And that's what the Holy Ghost does. You know, a man can stand on a street corner, and I'm not against it. He can stand on a street corner with a, with a sign, scripture sign, and stand out there at the red light and preach Jesus to people all day long. That's fantastic. You know what he's doing? He, if, he's, if he does it right, he'll let the word of God do the correcting. He'll let the Word of God do the convicting and the criticizing, and he'll not stand there and try to tell everybody how wrong they are all day long. He'll let the Word of God do it. That's the right way. Amen? And, and, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit of God's the one that does the convicting. It's not us. Why? Because a man looks at a guy standing there with a scripture sign in his hand and says, that fellow right there got problems in his life just like I do. He will not bring conviction on me, but God's Word, God's Spirit, working with the Word of God is what brings the conviction. And he will reprove the world of sin. I can't go out and make the world see that it's lost in sin, but when I preach the Word of God, the Holy Ghost of God takes the Word of God and says, you're wrong and you need to get right. I can say it all day long. I can build letters 25 feet high and put them along the highway. 
People drive right by them all day long until the Holy Ghost of God shows them. He reproves them of sin. What else will he do? He'll reprove the world of righteousness. You see, the world's got its own brand of righteousness. There's lots of self-righteous people. But the Holy Ghost of God says, you're wrong, fella. You're wrong, ma'am. You're, you're self-righteous. You're not righteous. You need to get right with God and yield and submit to him. The Holy Ghost of God does that. We can't show people that. And he'll also reprove the world of judgment. There's, there's plenty of judges that are crooked as a, as a snake. There's plenty of people in our government that are as crooked as a snake. They like, they like a boat arc Leo, man. They ain't none of them. Ain't none of them got straight in them nowhere on thing. But you see, God's for judgment. God's for right. And God's going to, he's going to criticize to correct. God is going to straighten it out. It's not our job. Our job is to preach the word. Our job is to share the word. Our job is to teach the word. The Holy Spirit of God is the one that does the convicting. He said of sin because they believe not on me. They need to be shown that they've got to believe on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. The Holy Spirit of God is going to come and do the righteousness that Christ was doing in us and through us. And of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. He said, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it? When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Thank God. I don't have to be confused. All I have to do is pray. And I say, Lord, I don't understand the scripture. Would you please help me? Please guide me by your spirit to understand. You know what? If I do that and I keep reading, God will show me what he's saying. Amen. God doesn't want me confused. The Bible's not too hard to understand. It just takes somebody who's willing to pray and be and be taught. You know what the Spirit of God does? He speaks for Jesus through us by the Word of God. He speaks through us. Amen. He says, He said, if God is in the truth, he'll not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He's not going to speak anything independent of Jesus. He's not going to speak anything independent of the Father because they are united in one will. One heart, one mind. He shall glorify me, the Bible says, Jesus said, for he shall receive a mind and show it unto you. All the things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. He is the power that reveals Christ in you. If you don't have the power of the Holy Ghost working in your life, then people are not seeing Christ in you. Simple as that. Simple as that. You cannot, in your flesh, show anybody Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is the only one who can reveal that to others. Luke 24, verse 49. Jesus said to his disciples, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So he's told them there, what? Wait. Carry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Well, they've not received that power yet. The title of the message this morning is to wait for the promise of the Father. This message is about waiting I want to read just a little bit to you before we go any further with it. I want you to realize that Jesus is asking his disciples to remain in Jerusalem for an extra 10 days. Okay? You may say, well, that's not that bad. 
But you need to remember that those disciples had been away from their homes in Galilee for a long time. And don't you know, as soon as the Lord went back to heaven, they took off back to Capernaum where they were from. They went home. I mean, listen, they weren't native residents of Jerusalem. That was not their home. No, they'd been away from their community, Capernaum, for a long time. Uh, The Lord came down from Capernaum. Uh, seven days before his crucifixion. Uh, if you remember in the story, that was when he saw blind Bartimaeus by the roadside who, who was crying out, Son of God, have mercy on me. And then he, a little further down the road, there was Zacchaeus up in a tree. He made his own way back, way down to Bethany, and he traveled from there to Jerusalem back and forth all the week we call the Passion Week. Okay? Disciples, had been, they were with him all that week. After the resurrection, he said, I got some things I want to teach you, and we're going to be in class for 40 days. 40 days in Jerusalem, Jesus taught his disciples things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And when he got to the end of those 40 days, instead of letting them go home, and they would have, I guarantee you they would have, Jesus commanded that they stay and wait for the promise of the Father. I mean, you think about it. It's been just shy of two months since they since they've seen their wives. Just shy of two months since they've seen their children. There wasn't any mailman to send a letter home and say, "Hey, we're doing okay down here. We'll be home in a couple weeks." There wasn't any telephone to call them on. There wasn't a telegraph to send. There wasn't no internet. All their family knew is that they were with Jesus. In fact, surely since it was just. 30, 40 miles up the road, probably wasn't that far. Actually, it wasn't that far. Word had gotten that far that Jesus had been crucified. And maybe, perhaps, word had gotten to him now, rumors of his resurrection. So they, you understand, these, these family members had to have been anxious, wondering what's going on. We're not there. We don't know. Is our husband alive? Is he coming back home? They didn't know. There bound to have been some anxiousness on the parts of those wives and those kids. Is daddy ever coming back home again? What's going on? Jesus has died. What's going on? So there's uncertainty there. And you know good and well that they were anxious. They were fearful. And their husbands haven't returned by now. They may not return at all. You know the disciples were homesick. They wanted to go home and see their wives and their children. Jesus said, wait. Wait. It's not a word you like to hear. Wait. Nobody nobody says, wait. Well, thank God didn't wait. I don't like to go to the doctor. You know why? I don't like to wait. I don't like to go to the tire store in Paris. You know why? Because they make you wait. Amen. There's lots of places where you're going to have to wait, and that waiting is never any good because you'll look at everything on your phone in five minutes, and it's like, what am I going to do for the rest of this time? I'm ready to go. I don't want to wait. But God sometimes wants you to wait. You see, Jesus knew that in just a, just ten days, the Holy Ghost of God is going to descend from heaven. And he wanted his disciples there and the others with them to be the reception committee for the Holy Ghost of God who was going to descend into the world to do his will. So after Jesus gave them the command to wait, he went home, and they put off going home, and they waited for the power of God that was promised. Now, Let's bring it down to where the rubber meets the road for me and you, okay? Let's see what we can get out of this 
this morning that we can apply and take from here. So God wants us to wait sometimes. A lot of times we think, I, I remember when I first surrendered to the ministry, and, I, you know, I wanted to just get out there and take off, but I realized I needed some education. And I went to Bible college, and while I was in Bible college, I kept thinking to myself, the world's dying and going to hell. Jesus is coming back, and here I sit with a book in front of me. What am I doing? I'm wasting time. I was buried. I was like Peter. I was ready to get out there. Somebody said, you just want to charge hell with a squirt pistol. Yeah, I'm ready. The devil had been whooping up on me for so long, I was ready to go back and whoop on him. I didn't, but that's what I thought. But God wants you to wait sometimes. I'm going to give you five thoughts in this next ten minutes. You ready? To get ready. Amen. Number one. God wants to get your attention. I think about the story of Jonah. Jonah one seventeen, the Bible said, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I bet you he did some thinking, don't you think? While he was waiting in that whale's belly to see what God's going to do with him next. Some uncertainty right there if you want to see some uncertainty. But sometimes God will make us wait because he wants to get our attention. He may be trying to move us. He may he may be trying to talk to us about a certain situation in our life, and we're so busy, we're not listening, and God just makes us sit still for a while and wait. When everything gets to running smooth in our life, you know what we do? We tend to forget God when things get real good in our life. We don't have a need. We're coasting. Everything's great. Lord, everything's fantastic, and we don't talk to him near as much. When we leave God out of our plans, you know what? They go nowhere fast. But uncertainty will draw us back to God like a magnet. From the bottom of the sea into the whale's belly, Jonah became a captive audience. All he could do was wait. And there waiting, he surrendered his will to God. Oh, he was running. He wasn't going to Nineveh. You can forget that. I'm going to get on that boat, and I'm going way away from God. Nope. Nope. God said, you're going to do what I want, and I'm going to put you somewhere where you got to wait. you got to think about things. And on that whale's belly, he gave it up to God. He, he went. And you know what? If we'll align our will with God's will, and if we'll walk in submission to the Spirit of God, We'll open our ears to God's voice and we're hearing it. It's when we walk in submission that we, God will speak to us. Because God, God's not going to speak to us while we're doing our own thing with our ears closed, just going fast as we want our direction. God can't speak to us. We can't hear him. You ever seen a dog running alongside a car? Ears pinned back. Fast as they, they you holler, stop, go on, go on. They don't hear a word you're saying. That's the way we run through life sometimes. God has to get us to be still and know that he's God in order for us to align ourselves with his will. Number two, why does God make us wait? Well, sometimes he's strengthening us spiritually. 1 Peter 5.10, But the God of all grace, who has called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect. That means mature. Establish. Strengthen. Settle you. That suffered a while. A lot of times that's waiting. Sometimes people have to wait on God to do something in their life, and they feel like they're suffering. Oh, I'm sitting there suffering, waiting on you, God. When are you going to show up? When are you? That's the way David was. He prayed that way. 
spiritually to where we realize our need for God. We realize how weak we are on our own. We realize how weak our flesh is, and we cry out and say, God, strengthen me. Help me be strong, Lord. I know you, you need me to be stronger than I am, and I'm weak, and I need you. Sometimes we have to wait in order to understand that. Waiting feels like suffering, like I said. But it's our flesh. It's our flesh that's ruining us. It's our flesh that's weakening us. If we instantly receive God's direction, we would rarely have the opportunity to exercise our faith. If we, if we just... I mean, if everything worked out perfect, if we never had to wait, if everything just fell into line, I mean, we didn't ever have those periods of waiting and wasting away and saying, God, what's going on here? Why help me? I mean, if we never had the valley, we'd, we'd never understand the mountaintop. Christian maturity, which is what he's talking about when he says make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Christian maturity becomes evident in our, in our life as we have the ability to wait in peaceful confidence on God. When I'm able to sit there and say, you know, I know God's going to show up. I don't know when he's going to show up, but I know God's going to show up, so I'm not worried. I'm not afraid. I trust him even in the darkness when I can't see God. I know God's there. When we begin to trust God and say, God, when you're ready to show up, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do, then we will, we'll, we'll know what to do when we trust in time. And we, we, we'll be expecting, but we're, we're not panicking. We're just looking and waiting. It's just like waiting on his return. I don't know when he's coming, and you don't know when he's coming, but we know that he's coming, so we're to be looking up, always waiting for his return. Third thing I said, not, not only does he want to get your attention, not only is he strengthening you spiritually by making you wait, but he's building patience in your life. He's building patience in your life. Second Thessalonians 1, 3 and 4 Paul said, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. They were growing great, fantastic. He said, in the charity of every one of you toward each other, aboundeth. They're growing in love. They're growing in faith. He said, so that ourselves glory in you in the churches of God. For what? For your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. You think when they were going through those persecutions and tribulations, maybe they said, God, how long are we going to have to go through this? Lord, when are you going to come to our rescue? When are you going to come to our aid? When are you going to fix these things in our life? God, where are you? Oftentimes we struggle through tribulations in our life, and we question why God hasn't come to our rescue yet. Why aren't you helping me yet, Lord? And yet when the struggles come to an end, we often look back. And we see how God worked an even greater work in our life through that time of waiting. He was doing something when we couldn't even see that he was doing something. He was changing us. He was building us up. He was strengthening us. And we, we couldn't see it. You can't, you can't see growth until you measure yourself later. You know? You, you don't know. Uh, little kids, you see them. You, don't know how, you can't really tell how much they've grown until they lean up against where they were on the wall. And then you mark their head again. You say, oh, they've grown a half an inch. God doesn't bring times of waste and waste waiting upon us for no reason. When we wait on God, 
that means we're patiently looking to him for what we need. It's not we're sitting around thinking, well, this is a waste of time. No, God, I need you. God, please come to my rescue. God, please show up. David recognized why he had to wait on the Lord. He, 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 he first recognized that his salvation came from the Lord. He learned that no one else could deliver him but the Lord. His only hope, his only hope was in God. For God alone, here's our prayers. Our prayers often revolve around asking God to hurry up. Hurry up and bless what I want to do, Lord. Hurry up and bless my plans, Lord. That's a lot of times how we pray. Lord, this is, I want to do this and this and this, Lord. I pray for your blessing. Instead of asking God what he wants. But what if God's answer is just be patient? Just wait. Wait on me. Are we willing to wait? Can we pray with David like he did in Psalm 5-3? My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. That means I'm waiting, Lord. I'm looking up. I'm, I'm, I'm praying to you and I'm looking up. Why am I looking? I want to answer. I'm waiting, Lord. We can trust God's response even when it doesn't come when we expect it to. God's not on our timetable. We're on God's timetable. God doesn't jump when we say jump. The fourth thing, and we only got five, so we're almost there. The fourth thing I want to show you about why God sometimes has us wait is he's building dependence on him. He wants us to depend on him. All right, look here. Ephesians 5.18, y'all know what it says when I start. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I preached a message up there like it was on a Sunday night. I was comparing, or maybe I shared shared the points with you, but about how you compare a man drunk on alcohol with a man filled with the Spirit. I talked about, you know, he's 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Well, when you're full of the Spirit of God, you're not scared of anything either, amen? You have a new generosity about you, you know, drunk, he wants to fly around for everybody. But a man, when he gets filled with the Spirit of God, he has no problem giving the missions or anything else. Listen, he get, God will get your bill when he gets your heart. There's a lot of ways that these are similar. But I, what I want to point out to you here, we're talking about a dependence. And when a man goes around getting drunk with wine, what's he going to turn into? An alcoholic. He'll have a dependence on alcohol. The more you drink, the more you need it. The more you drink, the more you need it. The more you drink, the more you need it. So your body becomes physically dependent on it. And when you don't have it, you shake. You physically nearly come apart. Well, when we're in an unhealthy condition, either physically or emotionally, first thing, happens to us is we get short-tempered. We, we, we lack patience. If you're hurting, you feel miserable, you know, when you wake up, you're just sick all over. You ain't got much patience for people. You know, I just want to go to bed. Leave me alone. I feel terrible. We get like that sometimes. I'm not trying to fuck this. I'm just saying that's, that's natural. <clears throat> but what else happens? You still begin to look for escapes. And in our physical life, that can lead to obsessions and it can lead to destruction in our life. But just, and I mean, we know people like that who are dependent on drugs. We know people who are dependent on alcohol. We know people that are addicted to pornography. They're addicted to all kinds of things. God wants us addicted to him. But even in our spiritual life, if we insist on pursuing only spiritual thrills, 
let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. People that I have met over the course of my ministry who have retired, they own a motorhome, and they literally drive from one revival meeting to the next. They don't go tour in the United States looking at all the sites. They got a schedule calendar of all different revival meetings and camp meetings all over the south of the United States or wherever, and they literally go from one to the next to the next to the next to the next to the next. They said, "Well, that'd be wonderful. Wouldn't that be wonderful?" Now, I'm not talking about evangelists. That's that's what God's called them to do. I'm talking about people that just go from one to the next to the next. You know what's wrong with that? You're trying to live on a spiritual high. You know what's wrong with that? You never go down in the valley. You're chasing a high. You're chasing that mountaintop experience every day of your life. Listen, God intends for us to go down into the valley. He intends for us to walk in dark places where we can't even hardly find Him. Having the reality of God's presence is not dependent on our determination to keep the Lord before us continually. Does that make sense? Having God pray, it's not, we don't have to chase. He say, "Oh God, I gotta have a, I gotta have a revival every day of my life. If I get down, you're not gonna be with me. No, God's with me on, in my highs and my lows. God's with me always, and God's gonna take me through some of those times of wasting." You look at the prophets of God; they went through times where they absolutely did nothing. We need the valley, so we remember how much we need Him. We need to know what it means to cry out in the dark. We need to know what it's like to wait and to long for God. We need to know that he is there with us in the dark. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17, Isaiah said, And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. What are you saying? I don't know where God's at right now, but I know he's there, and I'm going to wait for him to show up. Isaiah 45, later in the book, he says, in verse 15, Verily, thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Sometimes God hides to wait to see what we're going to do. He doesn't reveal himself. He makes us wait to see how we're going to react. He wants us to build that dependence on him, to say, I may be in the dark, I may feel alone, I may feel the temptation to be afraid, but I know that God is with me and he's promised me and he'll never leave me and I depend on him and he'll show up right in time and he'll come to my aid. I know who I serve. It's good to wait on God, to learn to trust him. Our problems arise when we refuse to place our trust in the reality that he is really there. And number five, I'm done after this one. Listen here. Why does God make us wait sometimes? God's transforming our character. He's changing us. He's, we're, we're to be transformed into the image of his son, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8. Waiting builds and transforms our character. Think about Moses. Moses became a great leader in his time, and God worked through him to bring about a lot of miracles to the children of Israel. But you know what? It didn't start that way. No, you remember he. You know, y'all know the story of Moses. Y'all know how he was in he was in Pharaoh's house and everything was great. And then he he saw he saw one of them Egyptians striving with his brethren, and he slew the Egyptian and he buried him, and it all come out. And he ran off, and he was gone for forty years. And God had him out on the backside of the desert, waiting for forty years. That's a long time to wait. But you know why he had him out there for forty years? 
Because when Moses left Egypt, Moses was not fit for God to use. Moses was brash and Moses was cocky, and God could not deliver his people with Moses at that time. God had to let Moses wander around on the backside of the desert, learn to trust him before he could do anything with him. But when he was given a second chance, you know what he did? He opted to do it God's way and did it in God's timing. Waiting has a way of humbling us. Waiting has a way of rubbing off our our tough edges so that our true Christian character is revealed, so that Christ is revealed in us. If impatience tempts you to jump ahead of God's will, you risk stepping outside of his will. You can't outrun God. You risk missing the blessings of God if you try to get in a hurry. We just need to trust him. I'm not telling you to not do anything for sure. Don't take me the wrong way. I'm not. Somebody may walk here and say, thank God. I'm thinking God. I think preacher wants us to get this up God. He wants us seven way. No, I'm not saying that at all. If God, hey, if, if, if God's got you where he wants you to use you, then by, by God, let him use you. But if God's got you in a place where he has you waiting, understand this, that's for a purpose too. That's for a purpose. By waiting, if you if, if you have some uncertainty about the next step to take in your Christian life, wait until he gives you clear direction. Because if you do, guess what? You'll walk in his peace. And you'll walk in his certainty. Because he's guiding you. And you won't stumble around in anxiety and confusion in life. God is not going to leave us dangling. God has a plan. It's just sometimes our our little human fleshly patience runs out. We need to remember that God's eternal and he moves when he's ready. He doesn't have to get in a hurry. The movings of God are very quiet and very deliberate and we can count on them. We need the power of God. We need the presence of God. We need the Holy Ghost of God working and flowing through our lives. And what we need to do is, like those disciples, get at the place of prayer and say, God, I need your spirit to flood and control my life, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm waiting for you to show me. That doesn't, that doesn't mean stop serving God. That doesn't mean stop reading your Bible, stop praying, stop going to church, stop doing all the things you've been doing. But it means let God drive. Say, God, I want you to lead me to somebody who needs you. Lord, I want you to make it apparent to me when you lead me across the path of that person. And God, I want you to give me confidence that you're with me. And when I open my mouth to talk to them, Lord, I want you to speak through me. And you give me peace. God will do that. He's done it. Listen, y'all probably think, preacher can talk to anybody. I'm going to tell you, when you walk up to a stranger, that's not the easiest thing to do in the world, to begin to tell them that they are lost and that they need Jesus. I don't care who you are. God alone can give you that confidence. I can't give you that confidence. You can't manufacture that confidence. But God Almighty, who put his spirit within your bosom, in your spirit, can give you that confidence. But you must wait at the place of prayer and say, God, I'm not going to try to do anything without your power. But, Lord, I pray you open the opportunity and you make me aware of it and you put your spirit on me and you use me and I'll give you all the praise and the glory and we'll move from that one to the next one. Amen? But we've got to determine in our mind we're going to follow God and we're going to do what he asks us to do, what he's commanded us to do, and let's wait on God. Let's ask God to do something great in our life. Let's stand together.